the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we close out the week and uh, head into our last hour here. It's a delight to do so with our dear friend, uh, Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. I love it when we get a chance to close the week with him. Uh, Pepper, uh, excuse me, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu is the website. He has, as I like to say uh, about him as well, a very active and interesting Twitter feed. Always, always kind of capturing interesting studies the, about the kinds of things we talk about here, mostly uh, having to do with uh, social policy. Um, it's at Pete, the number 4CA, at Pete 4CA. So happy Friday, Pete. Anything interesting going on this week? Just a few things. Just a few things <laughs> we might want to get into. Some well, national actually, national and local stories all all over the place. Yep. I do. Yeah, on the election thing, you know, I'll confess an ignorance. Um, I, the nation's turning its lonely eyes to Arizona and Georgia. I guess Nevada, two states that are California adjacent. I have not heard any major big stories out of California and elections. And maybe that's my fault or my 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 deficit. But was there anything really interesting coming out of California? Well, um, on the I'll just say on the unfortunate side, as I knew, uh, know two people who are running for statewide office. We we had discussed the candidacy of Lonnie Chen, who was running for controller, and really I think one of the smartest men in America. I think true, and and really ran one of the best statewide campaigns uh, that a Republican has in in certainly the last 15 years or so, it doesn't look like he's going to make it through, although he is uh, currently stands as one of the closer uh, candidates in his race. Right now it's about 53-46. And the other was uh, a graduate of our policy program, Lance Christensen, who ran for superintendent of schools. And, you know, I I was hopeful that more California voters would have uh, brought some of the angst uh, that they felt in uh, signing petitions to uh, recall the governor, especially over the uh, the topic of, of shutting down schools. Yeah. They might bring that into the ballot box this time around, too, but it, it certainly doesn't doesn't look that way. So on the on the congressional side, there remain uh, several races that are worth watching because they will uh, contribute to. Uh, the balance of power in Congress. And right now it looks like the, the race is in Orange County, um, specifically with Michelle Steele and Young Kim, that those uh, races have maintained uh, in on the Republican side. Uh, Mike Garcia, who is a congressman from uh, eastern Los Angeles County, uh, they have redistricted him and his district uh, to make it much less favorable to him, but it looks like he's going to make it through again. And David Valadeo, who was in the Central Valley, um, it looks like he's going to make it through as well. So a mixed bag, uh, certainly more 
uh, beneficial to Democrats than Republicans. But um, was uh, the, the mayor's race in L.A. competitive? Well, that is one that remains undecided. Oh, okay. Uh, and actually, right. today, Friday, we are uh, to get a new report from the L.A. County Registrar of Voters. Uh, as it stands right now, uh, Rick Caruso, who's the developer um, and uh, kind of a Republican. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Kind of Republican. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, he is running against Karen Bass, a longtime congresswoman, mm-hmm. uh, and he is up by less than a point. Okay. Uh, right. So that is that is a surprise. Many of the polls leading up to the race had Bass up um, less than double digits, but still what w- looked what was looking to be a comfortable win. And and that uh, if that were to go to Caruso, that really would be a sign that. Even Los Angeles voters are are tired of uh, the quality of life issues that you and I yeah. talk yeah. so much about. The other big congressional race that is also to be decided is the other Orange County race, which is the only congresswoman or congressperson in Orange County that's a Democrat, uh, which is Katie Porter. Uh-huh. And Katie is running against Scott Baugh, who is a longtime, well-known Republican, used to head up the Orange County uh, Republican Central Committee, very much of someone who's worked in uh, state and, and regional politics. And even though Porter is up, that is, as it stands, uh, less than two points. Wow. And so um, wow. there's still a chance there. And if that were to go Ball's way, that would be a flip. And uh, again, as we think about the overall balance of power in Congress, that would be a, a pretty big story. Pete, was, in the California elections, and again, I'm confessing I just, to my deficit, did not follow them very closely at all. Was there a theme of what candidates were kind of generally talking about on the Republican side, let us say? For example, in Arizona, it was mostly immigration and crime and economy and I'm wondering, with a few exceptions that I want to get to in a moment, but did, 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 could you detect a, 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 a dual or a tripartite or singular theme that Republicans were kind of trying to hammer to get to, get to yeah. their victories? It really did vary. Okay. When, you, when you saw in some of these congressional races, uh, you saw what you saw around the country, which was Republicans were – uh, definitely pushing on issues of the economy. Uh-huh. Uh, they would bring up schools. They would talk about uh, some of these issues related to crime. Uh, Democrats, by and large, were talking about abortion. And there was a ballot measure, Prop 1, uh, that was an abortion measure that essentially, uh, and I would argue, uh, tragically, was overwhelmingly passed by California voters. It looks right now that it's going to be over a over a 60 percent approval of a uh, measure that would essentially enshrine enshrine abortion rights into the state constitution, somewhat similar to the Michigan measure. And I'm guessing so, into the third trimester too. I'm guessing. Well, some of these things may be open to legislative. Uh, shaping, uh-huh. but obviously given the composition of yeah. the legislature, yeah. there's not really going to be too much of that. So that's essentially what you saw. Okay. Um, 
and and again, many of those Republicans who were incumbents uh, congressionally made it through in the statewide races. You know, uh, Republicans just continue to be chronically challenged in in getting messages out. So I didn't see a single campaign TV commercial on behalf of the Republican uh-huh. candidate, yeah. Brian Dolly, who was running for governor uh-huh. against Gavin Newsom. Yeah, and no um, one knows that name outside of California at all. Exactly at right. All, and so, it's the first time I heard it. And I would say even uh, certainly he was reading the polls. Yeah. Uh, there actually weren't a lot of campaign commercials even for Newsom. Didn't need to. Right. Uh, didn't need yeah. to yeah. and wasn't going to look to put his chin too far out yeah. with something that yeah. might yeah. blow back against him. Yeah. But um, he was busy running yeah. ads in Florida. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, I'll right. tell you why I asked. I, I'll tell you why I'm listening very carefully to what you're saying, because I'm playing with a thesis that isn't quite ripe yet. Um, but it's yeah. it's it's this. Um I've always thought that values and culture issues are important when they're important and that Republicans do well when they run on them. Uh, at the national level, we think of Reagan. Uh, we think of Bush Jr., uh, the second Bush. He ran he, he ran as a cultural conservative, certainly Trump in 2016. Those that kind of avoid them, you think of Bush one. Uh, I don't know, your Jerry Fords. They tend not to. Again, you know, we can talk about all the asterisks to everything I'm saying. This is a blunt, a blunt uh, sword I'm I'm, yeah. I'm working with right now, and I'm looking in Arizona. And you know, I thought this was going to be an election that dealt with the major cultural issue uh, that has energized so many people over the last two years, having to do with schools, education, and all that yeah. entailed, uh, yeah. which is to say, the shutdowns, mm-hmm. the COVID shutdowns. The CRT stuff, the sexualization stuff, and certainly the outcomes. Um, there's the music. Let me let me set that point and come back to it if I can with you. And it, yeah, yeah, maybe you see where I'm going, but we'll pick up on it when we come right back. I want to talk about what the cultural issues are for Republicans and how I kind of see how they played out and how they benefited those who went there and kind of. Those that didn't, maybe they're not going to make it through the Death Star. Uh, We'll talk about that when we come right back with Pete Peterson from the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Pete Peterson is our guest from the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. If you are interested in a career in public policy, uh, this is the school to go to. Uh, You want to learn how to make your community, your country the world better. This is when we talk about schools that are problems. This is the solution. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. So, Pete, I'm playing around with this thesis of, you know, and every example I have, the cultural issues changed based on the time. You know, that yeah. not they're yeah. not always the same issues. But I thought education was really the one for the grabbing here. Um, the easy fruit, not low hanging, but the easy fruit to really, you know, do a children's crusade and a parent's crusade, if you will. And here's an interesting little data point. Uh, the the women who rolled up their sleeves and ran for school district boards, you know, to take back their curriculum, to take back these charges here, the school board candidates that 
that stuff we'd ignored for too long. You know, the turnout in those votes, Pete, was about 8% higher than the statewide average of turnout. And when you look at those who likely will win, I I think Carrie Lake wins. I'm pretty sure Carrie Lake wins. She 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 campaigned on these cultural issues. I mm-hmm. think our superintendent, the Republican superintendent candidate, will win. He spoke almost entirely about CRT and 1619 stuff. And those that stayed within the talking points and it's the economy and the inflation, not doing as well, not yeah. doing as well. And I'm just wondering if if I'm on to something here or there. I'm wondering. I mean, it's it's not a fully developed thesis yet, but. You know, the idea that, you know, we're graduating 17-year-olds who can't read their diplomas, but they certainly know all about uh, the ability to change their sex and they should be ashamed of their race. You know, that should energize people in a way that the inflation maybe doesn't. I don't know. What's your thought of at least my preliminary thesis here? I think it's very fair. I also do think, to your point about uh, context matters, I think it's also fair to say— that this election for the first time, really, uh, since Roe, did have Roe on the ballot. Yeah, we got to get to that. On the yeah. Ballot, yeah. Right? right? And not to say that other candidates certainly over the decades have not run on these issues, yeah. either for or against. But I hate to be cynical about these things, yeah. Seth, but yeah. there's not much doubt to me that Michigan intentionally put a measure on the ballot, at least for part of the reason to drive up turnout. No question. Uh, to benefit uh, a rather shaky gubernatorial yep. Yep. Uh, incumbency yep. with Whitmer. Yep. And they've done the same thing in California. Uh-huh. Um, not to say that there aren't people that really are committed to that issue, but there certainly were political reasons behind putting these measures on the ballot as well. And in that, you're, you have to if the other side is going to bring up so-called social issues, yep. you better be able to respond to those. Yep. Yep. Um, not just carry the ones that I think are very much winning issues for Republicans, the ones that you just ticked off there on education, yeah. uh, certainly the, the, the broader quality of life yeah. issues. In, in yeah, let, so me, forth, let, me, let me throw back some thoughts on that to you if I can. Let's explore this one. And 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 you may think I'm all wet and you you have every right to uh, because I, I think this, it's a unique <laughs> or minority position. But I, I, I think I wouldn't say it if I didn't think there was something to it. Um, the candidates in the Republican Party who shrank from uh, the charges for being from uh, for being extremist on abortion, the ones that yep. kind of trimmed and shrank and even in some cases changed their primary versus general election messaging. They got hit. They got hit harder than I would have expected. Those that weren't afraid of it and explained it and explained the extremism of the Democratic, they did okay. They did just fine on it. Ron DeSantis won women, I think, in every age group and in every category. I think if 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 I'm wrong about that, I'm only wrong by one or two points he signed an abortion law that you know mimics the mississippi law yeah um again not afraid of it um right and and they and and didn't trim on it didn't didn't lead with it but when asked about it didn't shall we say silently or quietly concede the democrats talking point you know oh exactly right yeah so i'm looking at the exit polls last point i'm looking at the abortion exit polls 
and uh, from CNN. The percentage of Americans that voted in their exit poll that said abortion should be legal in most cases is 30 percent. The the illegal in most cases is 26 percent. We're not that far from, you know, I think it's how it was handled more than how it was. I don't know. You tell me. Well, again, here what uh, what I'm saying is I'm in full agreement with you. I'm just also adding that when the Democrats bring a social issue to the table, not only should Republicans be running on the issues that we've talked about that can be construed as social that benefit them, they need to run into the ones that may have some cross-cutting there. And I Mm -hmm. think that I totally agree. The candidates who didn't run away from that they did a little and, better. Yeah, and very much held the other side yeah. accountable to say, well, then what is the limit? Yeah, yeah. I think they Those, did a little better. Which, and, again, going to the exit polls is is where most Americans are. Yep, I think uh, that's, that's right. That's really where Republicans need to continue to engage. I had a discussion with a friend of mine who I had a parallel to this conversation you and I are having, uh, a well-known attorney here in town on this Um and he said, uh, kind of like you were trying to, 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 to say as well, he said, uh, are you telling me those COVID school issues are more strongly cultural issues than abortion? And I said, I don't know. And I'll tell you why I don't know. I don't know because the issue of abortion itself really affects about uh, less than 20 percent of the population as a direct right. measure. You know, uh, reproductive age women are about 20 percent of the population. But the education stuff is everyone. It's everyone. So I'm not sure it might not be a more trenchant cultural set of issues in the education sphere. I don't know. I'm still playing with this stuff, Pete. Well, and, and I think sometimes what gets lost, and I'm surprised we didn't see more of it, is that this was the first national election since what I dare say was the end of COVID. Yeah, yeah. And... And in that, I was expecting more of the energy that that propelled the Yunkin into office and almost won the New Jersey gubernatorial and created the the ground sufficient for a recall attempt for the California governor. I agree. I thought we'd see more energy around that. Absolutely. And those that did it here did better. Those that did it here did better. It's weird how the that issue, the whole set of COVID issues, is so much further in the rear view, it appears so much further in the rear view mirror yeah. than it actually is. The memory yeah. holding scene. I gotta take another break. We'll come right back with Pete Peterson, get some thoughts. There's another issue that, you know, didn't really get a lot of attention. Um and that was national security foreign policy stuff. We'll talk about that when we come back to Pete Peterson as our guest. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Pete, I noticed uh, you're having a big speech tonight at your campus, um, at your school, from someone who is a very respected figure, uh, uh, Robert O'Brien, Robert C. O'Brien, who was uh, formerly national security in the Trump administration. I can't tell you how many people I know who respect that man so very, 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 very much. 
Um, tell us yeah, about great, that, yeah. and then let's talk a little bit about foreign policy. Yeah, well, uh, it's our annual uh, fall dean's lecture, and uh, for that, uh, Robert C. O'Brien, uh, as you say, former national security advisor in the Trump administration, will be uh, giving a talk, and I'll be asking him some questions about the current state of uh, America's national security. I've actually known Ambassador O'Brien for about 10 years. He's a Southern California-based yeah. uh, guy and mm-hmm. just a terrific public servant and a great example for our students. I yep. know we'll have a lot of students in the audience. Yep. Uh, tonight, but but really looking forward to to the event. I did see a few candidates um, across the country, and some in Arizona, particularly our candidate for attorney general here, um, using him to campaign with him, as well as oh, a yeah. few he other. Was very national- active. Yeah, very and, active on the campaign. Yeah, trail. and a few others like um, uh, Ambassador Rick Grinnell uh, yep. was on the campaign stump. But, yeah, I mean, we're in a very precarious time. And at the beginning right. of the year, you would have thought Joe Biden was going to make the campaign about Russia and Ukraine. That fell apart. But you sure don't hear much. You didn't hear much foreign policy talk um, in, 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 in this election. Um, not really much at all that I can think of. No, that's right. And really for... As, as we know, traditionally, uh, these midterm elections in a president's first year are really seen as a, a snapback yeah. to uh, the president's yeah. party. Yeah. Uh, that has traditionally been the case. Uh-huh. And so obviously, while all politics is, is local, uh, there certainly are national trend lines, and midterms tend to be that. And to see the, the catastrophe that was the Afghanistan withdrawal, yep. which really, I think, for a lot of Americans, you began to see uh, the president's approval ratings, even even before the economy started getting noticeably uh, problematic. It yep. was it was the Afghanistan pullout where yep. um, a lot of Americans yep. lost trust in this yep. president. Yep. Uh, I thought that that would continue to be a driver. Uh, of these uh, midterm election results. I do think that most Americans do favor uh, the the current administration's position on the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And in that, uh, that's a bit of a dampening effect on, um, on what happened in Afghanistan. I also think that most, and this is certainly a, a question I'll raise with Ambassador O'Brien tonight, that most pundits think that the uh, current administration has essentially continued, maybe with some slight modifications, but essentially continued a rather tough stance on China. Mm-hmm. And in that, I think most Americans are certainly, in the wake of COVID as well, but certainly in agreement with where President Trump really created that sea change in, in America's relationship with China. I think that's probably a, a fair way to put it, best as I can tell. But you know where the, 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 there was a sea change, I think, at least until a month ago, was on Mideast policy. And That's that right. usually energizes certainly Republicans. Um, well, actually, it energizes the squad, too. So the progressives, yeah. I guess, I don't right. need to tell a campus administrator how problematic these issues can be. <laughs> right. Although I would say that, you know, the Iran, just to drill down on one country, yeah. um, the the approach on Iran has also been 
a bit confusing. Yes. Right? Yes. With, with one side of our mouth, we are talking about at least giving uh, tepid support to the protests that we continue to see around the country, the, the violence particularly against women, and certainly within the Democratic coalition, to get too far forward in saying that we're going to renegotiate the nuclear deal and, you know, this is really, we need to find a, a partners in Iran. Um, that's That's got a lot of polarizing, counter- cutting aspects within the democratic coalition itself. Yeah, yeah, but not not so I mean I it would have been interesting for the Repu- Republicans to pick up more on that. Tepid is the right word on the on the protests. Uh one would have hoped for a more forceful stand for women's rights. One would have Agreed. hoped for a more forceful stand for uh religious liberty. Um and yeah, up until a month ago, it was about full speed ahead on the Iran nuclear deal. Let me take a quick break. Let's let's pick up on that when we come back, if that's OK. I'm Seth Leibson. He is Pete Peterson, the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. Yeah, that foreign policy stuff, Pete. So I suppose if I were a Republican Party consultant, I would have done a lot on Joe Biden talking about the extraordinary success of the Afghanistan withdrawal versus the reality of it. Um, I w- and then I would have gone to the Iran policy and I would have gone to, you know, what what seems to be a very confusing um, uh, if not confused, policy towards Saudi Arabia, um, all of which has kind of, you may have used the word blurred, if not blurred, over the last 30 to 50 to 60 days. It's 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 almost rudderless. It's almost a yeah. rudderless direction for the United States of America. Well, of course, the Middle East is that one region that has another overlapping component within the democratic coalition yeah. which is the environmental yeah. movement yeah. right so yeah. any discussion especially you raise saudi arabia and all these pieces obviously are interconnected with uh different balances back and forth mm-hmm. but the um the the challenge obviously that america is seeing around energy prices and the dramatic increase of that <laughs> certainly yeah. i see yeah. that mm-hmm. Right here, every time I drive down Coast Highway. Um, What's your average price, uh, by the way? What's your average price? Oh, it's uh, it's certainly in the low sixes per gallon. So, um, you know, these are issues that there's a significant part of the Democratic, at least the 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 longstanding Democratic base, which is say the lower middle class, that these cost of living issues are significant. Um, but they are rubbing up against the environmental, more yep. elitist parts of yep. the party, yep. which are not in any way wanting to renegotiate uh, deals on uh, Venezuelan oil exports or Iran or other other areas of the Middle East, much less even think about opening up, opening up new drilling permits here yeah. in the United States. Uh, all of that right i th- i think so i i i i think that's that's right and and i think too um it's it's not an area that you think that a lot of maybe congress people and governors would want to weigh in on 
But there's no reason they can't or shouldn't. I mean, congressmen and senators, you know, they vote on the foreign aid packages. They vote on defense packages. They certainly have the power of the purse. And um, I don't remember it in 2010 so much, but I do remember in 94 when Gingrich was leading the uh, the, the, the congressional uh, revolution of that moment. He, he spoke as much on foreign policy as anything else. <laughs> he was a speaker of the House with a foreign policy agenda. They passed the Israeli, you know, the Jerusalem Embassy Act and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's right. Yeah. So so that maybe maybe that was maybe that was an issue Republican consultants might want to look at again. I know it's not. Uh, the hugest of drivers, but it seemed like it was fruit that wasn't picked, if that's a fair way to well, put it. Well, I think it, you know, it could have been woven, and I'm just thinking about this as you and I are yeah, talking yeah, yeah, about yeah, it. It could too. have been woven into a larger discussion around security. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. which, in you know, at the local level begins with public safety and then certainly goes into the the national and international level with national security. Yes. Um, I think it's fair to say that a lot of Americans don't feel safe. Yeah, that's right. And and that's a message that that begins in in the streets of Los Angeles yep. and continues up through the the streets of uh, what might be going on in in Tehran. You so. and I should open a consulting firm. <laughs> Pete, I like that line. Americans don't feel safe. Uh, the marriage story is. Um, I notice you you and I are big fans of Brad Wilcox right. over at UVA, and I notice you flagged yep. that that one keeps getting doubled down. Double isn't it probably precisely right, but we keep re. Reissuing this point, um, if you're married, you're Republican. If you're not, especially if you're not a married woman, you're a Democrat. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the data is really starting to come out that shows a, a significant and growing difference between how married men and women yeah. voted versus versus unmarried. Yeah. I mean, um, Although many people are looking at the abortion issue as just being really uh, cutting against uh, Republicans and women's support for Republicans, right. what Wilcox found was that married women um, supported Republicans by uh, 14 points yeah. over Democrats. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so understanding, you know, how these issues are communicated and discussed uh, really does demand. Some nuance, but it, it goes to the broader conversation around marriage rates in the United yep. States. Yep. And so, as more and more Americans delay getting married, we obviously are seeing more and more unmarried uh, women and men. Although unmarried men still voted more for Republicans than Democrats. Yep. Uh, but that that really is um, a demographic, if you will, that Republicans need to find ways to communicate with it. It's another cultural issue that maybe in non-election years we just need to spend more time on. I mean, we, we, we can look at the impacts of marriage as a social benefit on any number of levels, education outcomes of the children, uh, criminal, non-criminal uh, behavior of the children. I mean, it really has a big print on a lot of other social cohesion or destruction and 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 I think to the degree we don't do more on it is a degree we're going to suffer as a society more and more on. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, again, it's it's something new for Americans yep. to think about yep. uh, how 
even though it feels like a 50-50 country when you get underneath it and the cross tabs, yeah. if you will, yeah. uh, there are there are big swings mm-hmm. uh, in within particular groups, and, and marital status is increasingly becoming one of those. Uh, those are not 50-50 numbers when you start looking at, at those groups. We have a lot of work to do is how I sum up this conversation. <laughs> That's how I sum this up, Pete. It's always about persuading. Yeah, always about yeah. persuading. Well, we have a lot of work to do. And, you know, the work shouldn't just happen and begin to start in September of every even-numbered year. So, well, exactly listen, right. you know how much I appreciate your insight, your time, and, and your generosity of, of thought and what you do with the kids and the young adults and even returning to school older adults at Pepperdine. It's just it's a great institution you have and you're a great friend to this show and this audience pete i I thank you for your time always always great to be with you sir thank you sir have a good evening tonight and uh i don't think he knows me but uh tell mr o'brien thank you for his service i'll pass it along i appreciate it sir have a great weekend pete i am seth leibson and we will be right back with a closing thought Portions of this show have been brought to you by our good friends and sponsors, Why Refi, if you're concerned with stock market volatility. Why Refi has an investment opportunity in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. And there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily. You are paid monthly and there are no fees. It's a secure collateralized, it's an investment in a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, up to 10.25% rate of return. A due diligence approved firm. You can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34. That's 888 888- why refi 34 tell them i sent you uh, just closing the show of course on um on a day like today veterans day you know there's any number of things i uh i have on my mind so thank you again to all our veterans thank you uh to the better men than myself who stood strong in defending this country and wearing its uniform uh it's a phrase of get from John Stuart Mill, better men than ourselves. Um, I, uh, I come from a family that was, um, was, was in World War II, as my daddy and uncle were, and uh, I just I can't tell you how much, how much we owe all of you who have served this country. I've been spending a lot of time, too, reading uh, some old Reagan speeches that haven't really been shared a lot in the public. Those are speeches when he was governor of California. And at his inaugural, he um, he closed this way. If some of you glanced up at the flag today that's here on the platform, you might have been puzzled by its rather small size on this particular occasion. There's an explanation. That flag was carried into battle in Vietnam by young men of California. Many of those men will not be coming home. One did, grievously wounded. Sergeant Robert Howell is with us here today. He brought this flag back to us. They were proud enough to carry it, and I thought we'd be proud to have it here to fly at the Capitol on this occasion today. Sergeant, that flag might even serve to put our problems in better perspective. 
It might remind us that we need to give our sons and daughters a cause to believe in and banners to follow. No generation has fought longer and harder for freedom or paid a higher price than ours, but the fulfillment of our destiny demands more. We can make this way of life we call a state a place of unlimited opportunity, a golden dream for all who have the courage to dare. If this is a dream, it's a good dream, and it's worthy of our generation, and it's worth passing on to the next. This is the eventual fulfillment of our destiny. I have every confidence that we, a little head of the sergeant's generation, a little older, who have lived through three wars and a cataclysmic depression, I believe that we're, we're capable of fulfilling our destiny. We can pass this dream on, so worthy of us, and worthy of passing on to the next. Let this day mark the beginning of that fulfillment. Bless you all, folks. God bless you all. Until Monday, I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.